Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. I can't think of a better way to celebrate the 4th of July. And uh, as Lori said, we, <clears throat> we celebrate all year long, but it is kind of special this time of year when we realize that God has blessed us with freedom uh, to do this, unrestricted freedom. And may God bless America that that will be the case for generations to come. I'd like for you to open your Bibles to the book of James, second chapter. <clears throat> and we'll pick up reading in verse 14. We made our way through verse 13 last week <clears throat> as we looked at the subject of stop showing favoritism. That was last week. And James gave us, in that text, a stern warning saying that favoritism and partiality is wrong, it's bad, it's dangerous, it does great damage in the household of faith. James says it turns us, if we give way to favoritism and partiality, it turns us into judges with evil thoughts. And it causes us to devalue those for whom Christ died. Favoritism and partiality have no place in the family of faith. Now today we pick up in verse 14, and James goes from the subject of stop showing favoritism to stop trusting dead faith. And that's the title of the message today. I'll begin reading in James chapter 2, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works, and not by faith only. Likewise, 
Was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now, let me just share with you that we have come to one of the great, and that's no exaggeration, one of the great subjects of the Bible. The subject of faith. And I'm telling you this morning that this subject is so important. I'm just telling you that in my opinion, there is no subject in the Bible more important for those of us who are serious about salvation and about walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is extremely important. But I must warn you, it is also extremely controversial. People have been crucified, burned at the stake, and executed over this very subject. Denominations have been torn apart. Churches have split right down the middle because of this subject of faith. So when I I say that it's controversial, I'm not exaggerating at all. And if you've been a Christian very long, you know that controversy is uh, not unusual when it comes to the Bible. I mean, there's so many things in the Bible that are so controversial. For instance, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When does the baptism of the Holy Spirit take place? Does it take place at the moment of conversion? Or does it take place at, at some time beyond conversion and after conversion? And when the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place, what is the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And is tongues, speaking in tongues, really for our day? And if you're a child of God, if you're saved, can you lose your salvation? Oh, and don't stop there. If you can lose your salvation, can you ever be saved again? Is it biblical for a Christian to get a tattoo? When a Christian dies, does the soul sleep in the grave and wait for the resurrection day? Or does the soul go immediately into the presence of the Lord? Is it a sin for Christians to partake of intoxicating beverages? What is the biblical standard for modesty and clothing? How much of our bodies should we actually put on display before the world? Should women be pastors of churches? Should Christians spank their children? (laughs) Hey, next time you, you are in a room full of Christians, just bring up a couple of these subjects. You will have no small debate. Controversy. But here's the deal, and here's what I want you to understand this morning. You can be wrong on every one of the issues I've just mentioned and still be a child of God. And still be saved. And still go to heaven when you die. I'm not saying they're not important. 
Because they are important. Everything in God's Word is important. I'm just saying that your salvation is not based upon these issues. But that's not true when we're talking about faith. You see, faith is something completely different. Faith is not like all these other controversial issues. Faith is the doorway of salvation itself. You see, faith is the foundation of our faith. Faith is the foundation of what we believe. I know that sounds redundant to say it that way, but faith is the foundation of our very faith, what we believe. Faith is the one thing that makes it possible for us to walk with God, to fellowship with Him, to have His Spirit upon us. Real, genuine, believing, trusting, active faith. You see, that's how important faith is. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. You can't even be saved without faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, And it is impossible to please God without faith. You can't walk with God without faith. 1 John 5, 5 says, Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You can't be an overcomer and walk in victory if you don't have faith. Let's debate all of these other issues, but let's make sure we get this one right. That's how important this thing of faith is. Could we possibly be talking about something more important? Is there anything in the Bible more important than this thing of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ? I don't think so. And, and, and i got to tell you, friends, the importance of faith cannot be exaggerated. But here's the problem. Have you ever noticed that there's always a problem? Here's the problem when it comes to faith. James wants us to understand that when we're dealing with the subject of faith, we have to be careful. We have to be cautious. We have to be alert. Why? Because James says there's a counterfeit faith. There's a faith that falls short of salvation. There's a faith that James calls dead faith. It's a faith that produces nothing. It does nothing. It has no works. It doesn't change us. It doesn't revolutionize our lives. And what James is saying in this passage that I've just read to you is James is saying, stop. Stop. Take notice. And don't trust in dead faith. Be careful. Life and death Hang in the balance. And by, and by the way, friends, just in case you think I'm exaggerating, verse 17 says, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is, say it with me, dead. Look at verse 20. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Dead also. Really? 
You think I repeat myself a lot. James doesn't want us to miss this. This is extremely important. There is a counterfeit faith. There's a phony faith. There's a superficial faith. There's a faith that falls short. There's a faith that you could possibly be holding on to that will fail you in the end. Oh, this is serious. This is serious. Every now and then, somebody will say to me as a pastor, I've heard this so many times I can't tell you. Somebody will say, Pastor, it's what's in your heart that really matters. It's what's in your heart. That's what really matters. You know what James is telling us in this text? No! No! It's not what's in your, what's in your heart that matters. What's in your heart is dead faith if there, if there is no corresponding action to go along with it. You see... If you have a kind of faith in your heart that produces nothing, goes nowhere, does nothing, blesses nobody, doesn't change you, doesn't change your family, doesn't change anything around you. Oh, that's dead faith. That's dangerous faith. We have to be careful. Listen, it's not just what's in your heart that matters. We understand this on just about every level except the area of faith, don't we? We understand this. For instance, how about in the area of love? What if we just said in the area of love, it's just what's in your heart that matters. That's all that matters. Wives, what if you had a talk with your husband and you said, you know what? I think our marriage would be better if you would just go sit down and talk with Pastor Henry. I believe he can help you and I believe by helping you, he'll help our marriage. Just go sit down with him and talk to him for a little while. And and you being cooperative, you say, you know, I can do that. I can do that. I like Pastor Henry. We get along real, real well. I'll just sit down with him and we'll talk for a while. And so wives, you send your husband. He sits down in my office and I look at him and this is what I say to him. Do you love your wife? And he says, sure, I love my wife. I said, no, come on, come on. Shoot straight with me. Do you really, really, really love your wife? Do you love her in your heart? Yes, pastor, I do. I love her. Then I want to tell you that's all that matters. Nothing else matters. You don't have to tell her you love her. You don't have to demonstrate your love. You, you, You don't have to do anything to prove that love. You certainly don't have to buy her a Christmas present or an anniversary present or a birthday present. And around the house, you don't have to lift a finger to help her. Because it's not what you do that matters. It's what's in your heart that matters. Uh Uh-huh. Now, now, by the way, wives, I want to tell you, if your husband's doing that, I have not talked with your husband. I have not told him. I have not said that to him. But if I did, 
He might hug my neck before he leaves my office, but by the time he gets home and tells you, I don't want to be around when he tells you, you'd think my husband and my pastor have both gone crazy. Because you know, nobody has to explain it to you, that it's not what's in your heart, just what's in your heart that matters. There's more to it than that. Isn't there? Listen, husbands and wives, you want to save your marriage. You want to take your marriage to a new level. You want to make it something exciting like God meant for it to be. Then learn to get your love out of your heart and into your actions and into your words. Start speaking it, living it, and walking it out. And you'll both come hug my neck and say, wow, that works. Wow. And with your children. Do it with your children. Listen, it's not enough just to have love in your heart for your children. You need to tell them. You need to show them. You need to demonstrate it. They need to see love in action with you. A bell is not a bell until you ring it. A song is not a song until you sing it. Love in your heart is not put there to stay. Love is not love until you give it away. You have to love. Can I get an amen? It's not just what's in your heart that matters. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, by the way, the other day, we were at the house and my wife and I and we had our youngest grandchild with us. And I forgot he was there. And it was just one of those moments. And my wife came walking by me. I just couldn't resist. I just reached out and I grabbed her and I pulled her in and leaned her back. And I mean, I planted a big old kiss on her. I was in the moment until I heard, hey, there's a kid in the room. That's what my little grandson said. And we just laughed. I thought, whoa, okay. But I got to tell you, friends, there's nothing that will please your children more than to see love in action. You see, we understand it on other levels. Uh, just one more illustration. Well, what about in the area of finances? Is it what's in your heart that matters? If somebody owes you some money, would you dare go to that person and say, you know what, I've learned today from my pastor, it's just what's in your heart that matters. And if it's in your heart to pay me back, you don't actually have to pay me back. It's what's in your heart that matters. You you don't have to actually pay me back the money you owe me. I just want to know that it's in your heart to pay me back. Anybody want to say that? Because if so, I'd like to meet with you right after church today. I'd like to meet with you because 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 what I want to do is borrow some money from you. Yeah. You you see, we understand this. No. It's loud and clear in God's word. It's not just what's in your heart that matters. Now, if some of you are sitting out there thinking, boy, those are some real simple and elementary illustrations our pastor is using this morning, well, then maybe you should read your Bible. Because that's exactly the level that James gets on in the text. He says, if you see somebody and they're naked, and you see somebody and they're hungry, and you look at them and you say... Oh, I want you to be warm. I want you to be clothed. I want you to have some good food. I just want you to know that's what I desire for you. That's what's in my heart. But James says, but if you don't do anything, it profits nothing. 
You see, it just doesn't profit anything. James is screaming in this text, and he's saying it's not just what's in your heart that matters. It's what's in your heart, and it's so real and true, and you have such deep convictions that it can't be contained in your heart. You start living it out. You start actually doing it. You start, you start working. Now, I just, I just got to tell you that uh, I'm still amazed. And this has happened throughout my whole ministry. Every now and then, and I think many people just use this as a defense mechanism. But I'll go up to somebody and start trying to talk to them about the Lord. And I have people say, I had this happen not long ago. Nope, nope, stop. My faith is a personal thing. It's just between me and the Lord. It's nobody else's business. My faith is personal. No, it's not. No. It's not even close to being personal. According to the Bible, help me out here. Matthew 5.16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your... Say it with me. Good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for... Good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 1 Peter 2, 12. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe, they're watching, glorify God in the day of visitation. By the way, do you know what that scripture is indicating? That somebody has watched your faith being worked out in good works, and they were so impacted by that they themselves turned to the Savior and embraced Him. And when Jesus returns, they're glorifying God. This is evangelism. Real, genuine, saving faith is always on display for the world to see in the good works of those who have it. Now, here's the question. You want to hear from me, and you also want me to answer this question, and I will. So when it comes to salvation, what is it that actually saves us? Is it faith? Is it, is it faith? Are we saved by faith? Or are we saved by works? Or there's a third option. Are we saved by faith combined with works? Well, the answer to that question is real simple, and it's real easy not difficult. If you know anything about the Bible, here's the answer. This is it. We're saved by faith, period. Can't say anything else. Can't add to it. We're saved by faith, period. If you had a thousand lifetimes to live, you couldn't do enough works of righteousness to earn your way into heaven. Salvation is a free gift from God. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. And James is not disputing that. He's not arguing with that. What James is saying loud and clear. Is this. Real. Genuine. Faith. Always produces works. Real. Genuine. Saving faith does something to us. It changes our lives. It changes the way we walk. It changes the way we talk. It changes our performance. We begin to obey. And what James is saying is, is if you have a type of faith that produces nothing, something's wrong. 
This subject has been debated throughout the centuries. The great reformer Martin Luther said, We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. That's a great statement, isn't it? My favorite statement by Martin Luther is this one. Faith is a living, restless thing. It, it, it cannot be inoperative. We are not saved by works, but if there be no works, there must be something amiss with faith. You understand? That's exactly what James is saying in our text. A faith that does nothing, a faith that accomplishes nothing, a faith that changes nothing, a faith that helps no one, a faith that does not bring glory to God is a counterfeit faith. It's not saving faith. It's dead faith and it's dangerous. And we need to make sure that we are not deceived by it. Jesus put it in the simplest of terms. You don't have to be a theologian to understand this. Matthew 7, 16 says, you will know them by their fruits. That's works, isn't it? That's what you do, what you say, how you live, how you act, your deportment, your behavior. Uh, You will know them by their fruits. Oh, friends, they will know us by our fruits. We will know them by our fruits. You know what Jesus is saying? You look at somebody and you can tell. Just stand around, listen. You will know them by their fruits. By the way, I know most of you at some time in your life have heard of what's called the duck test. The duck test is a humorous term for a form of abductive reasoning. And the duck test goes like this. If it looks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, if it swims like a duck, and it quacks like a duck, say it with me. Pretty good chance it's a duck. (laughs) You know, um, the duck test implies that we can identify an unknown subject by observing the behavior and the characteristics of the subject. Now friends, somewhere down the line, the church just needs to get honest. Not mean-spirited, but we need to get honest. What is the likelihood that that a person who has no Christian characteristics They don't walk like a Christian. They don't talk like a Christian. They don't give like a Christian. They don't sacrifice like a Christian. They don't work like a Christian. The lifestyle has nothing to do with Christianity. There is nothing in their lives that lines up with the Word of God. I'm just asking you, what is the likelihood that that person is actually a Christian? Jesus said you'll know them by their fruits. Can can we turn that thing around? Can we say if it doesn't look like a duck, if it doesn't walk like a duck, if it doesn't swim like a duck, if it doesn't quack like a duck? Probably not a duck. I'm, I'm, I'm just... I'm trying to get you to understand what James is saying in this text. And by the way, James uses illustrations. He says, take Abraham, the father of our faith. He was justified by his works. He he was saying the way we actually knew that he was the father of faith and the way he validated his faith was this. He did something. He offered Isaac, his son. Isn't that amazing? He offered Isaac. And and listen, listen to what it says. Speaking of Abraham, faith was working together with his works and by works, faith was made perfect. They were working together. 
And then James goes on and he talks about Rahab the harlot, a woman of ill repute in the Old Testament. She became a believer. And then she did something. She helped the people of God. She helped Israel. In fact, she aided the whole nation of Israel. It's a very important thing she did. And basically what James is saying is that you could tell she was a believer who had real saving faith because she actually did something. Look at verse 18 in our text. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And then James gives them a challenge. He says, show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. The problem with that is it's an impossible challenge. James knew what he was doing. What if I walked up to you after the service and I said, hey, I want you to show me your faith without your works. What would you show me? What would you reveal to me? How would you manifest your faith? You can't. You say, well, well, pastor, this is what I do. I would just begin to tell you what God's done in my life. I'd begin to testify the goodness of God. I'd begin to tell you what a marvelous Savior He is. Well, wait now. That's works. Can't do that. See, if you start bragging on God and testifying and letting the redeemed of the Lord say so, if you st- that's works. So you can't do that. So I'm asking you. How would you manifest your faith? How would you reveal your faith? How would you show me your faith? The fact is you can't do it. The only way you can show your faith is you have to do something. You have to say something. You have to demonstrate something. You have to put love in action. You have to sacrifice something. You have to roll your sleeves up and and go to work and get your hands dirty. You have to do something. And James is saying that faith that does nothing is dead faith and it falls short of saving faith. I think the most eye-opening part of this whole passage is verse 19. Verse 19 says, You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Now, the reason I think this is so significant, and I hope you'll mark this in your Bible, is, is because it gives us the three elements of faith. First, there's intellectual faith. Intellectual faith is, is, is what you understand in your head. That, that's what you know. Now this is going to surprise you just a little bit. According to James, even the demons have intellectual faith. Look at it. You believe that there is one God, you do well, even the demons believe. Did you know that the demons believe in God as much as you believe in God? They have intellectual faith, maybe even better than us. So you have the intellectual part of faith, and then you have the emotional part of faith. Emotional faith is what you feel, it's your feelings, it's your emotions, it's your desires. And by the way, demons have that too. Look, even the demons believe and tremble. Trust me, when demons get in the presence of God, they get emotional. So next time you feel like you're in the presence of God and you get emotional, demons do that same thing. I don't, want you to, I, I don't want you to be paranoid. I'm just telling you that James says that demons have intellectual faith, they have emotional faith. But what he goes on in verse 20 when he says, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? James is saying there's another aspect, there's another element of faith, and it's volitional faith. 
There's intellectual faith, there's emotional faith, and there's volitional faith. You understand what the word means. If I said to you, he did that of his own volition, you'd know exactly what I was talking about. He did it on his own. He did it because he wanted to. He did it because he desired to. Nobody forced him to do it. He did it of his own volition. And by the way, friends, that's what the demons can't do. And that's the place where our faith goes to work and does something. We need intellectual faith. I believe we need emotional faith. But we have to take it beyond that because thus far it's just dead faith. It's not saving faith. But when it becomes volitional faith, when we step out and we do something, wow. I know you've been wondering what this chair is all about. Well, let me just explain to you. I'm going to give you an illustration and I don't think you'll ever forget this. You see this chair right here? I believe that chair can support my weight. I believe it can hold me up. In fact, I am confident, I'm 100% sure that chair will support my weight and can hold me up. That's intellectual faith. I believe it with everything in me. I believe that chair can hold me up. Now I want to ask you a question. Is that chair holding me up? No, it's not. If you think that chair is holding me up, there's something wrong with you. I'm still standing here. The chair is there. That's intellectual faith. Now, what if I stood here for 24 hours? What if I stayed on this stage for 24 hours? And I know I'd be by myself because you'd be long gone. But what if I stood here for 24 hours? And I stood here so long that my, my legs became weak and trembling. And I'm starting to wobble and I'm almost falling asleep. And I look at this chair And I have this tremendous desire, this longing for the chair to hold me up and support my weight. I mean, I want it to hold me up. I desire it. I can just imagine how wonderful it'll feel just to sink down in that chair. That's emotional faith. But if I stand right here, is the chair holding me up? See, I can have intellectual faith and it's not holding me up. I can have emotional faith and it's still not holding me up. I have to apply the third element of faith. I have to apply the volitional part of faith. I have to act upon what my head knows and what my heart desires. I have to actually do something. When did America develop a brand of Christianity that you could be saved and right with God and go to heaven, but you don't have to do anything? See, there has to be that volitional element of faith. I know it can support me. I want it to support me. Wow. You guys look better. I think I might start preaching sitting down. Wow, this is good. Y'all doing good? Is everybody all right? That's why we're here. (laughs) Listen to me. Listen to me. Intellectual faith is not bad. We need it. That's one of the reasons we teach the Word. You need intellectual faith. You need to know the truth according to the Word of God. And emotional faith is not bad. We need emotions. I, I, I sometimes want to shout to the Lord because I get so emotional and sometimes I want to shout at other people because they don't have any emotions. I wonder, what's wrong with them? 
What's wrong with them? Some people are just more emotional than others, and that's okay, but we need emotional faith. Intellectual faith is not bad. Emotional faith is not bad. But if it never gets to the point where it's volitional faith, if it never gets to the point where you act upon it and you do something and you step out, then it's dead faith. And that faith won't save you. That faith won't help you. By the way, Paul said to the Corinthian church one time, Paul said, examine yourselves. To see if you're in the faith. Test yourself. Why would Paul say that? For the same reason James is writing this passage of scripture. Why would he say examine yourself? Why would he say test yourself? Because there's a danger that you could think you're in the faith. When you're not actually in the faith. I want to close with this. Real faith. In a real savior will produce real salvation that brings real changes in our lives. And there will be real evidence. Dead faith, no evidence. Saving faith, always there will be evidence. And and what James is saying is be careful. Stop trusting dead faith. Would you pray with me, please? Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.